Today's show is brought to you by Team Snap. Sign up for a free 21-day free trial at www.tryteamsnap.com slash holybackboard. Let's go! Come on, everybody, let's get to bumping, cause it's All right, everybody, welcome to the 93rd edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man Sage kicking it live and direct on the Holy Backboard. Um, I'm, I'm feeling a little more excited than normal. Of course, we have a fantastic guest, but I have to talk my shit beforehand. Today, I, I reunited with one of my friends from way back. And I was watching his NBA 2K stream, and I uh, started a party and invited him and just talked mad shit for about the last hour. So I'm still on that adrenaline high of just being a bully on the internet, but... Well, you better rein that in, young fella. <laughs> I, he thinks he's better than me, and I have to let everybody know who's listening that I am better than this guy Boogie all day. So... Here it is. I would smoke you in NBA 2K, and it I wouldn't even be trying that hard. I talked my shit, and let's talk about this team that we all happen to root for. Are you not going to introduce our guest? Eh? That's pretty rude. <laughs> well, she 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 team mommed it. Well, while I was I going, busted in. <laughs> yeah, as I was talking my shit, she was like, "No, no, 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 no." So she gave you the the verbal Matumbo finger wag. Oh, right she there. gave she gave me the mom Matumbo finger wag right there, but it did not <laughs> stop me from talking my shit. Uh, I'm sorry, I forgot you guys had protocol. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really what happens to me in the. I, I had another story for this intro, but me talking crap on the internet is much more entertaining for me than. I found some old art in my closet. All right. Well, with that, uh, we want to welcome Tara, uh, a.k.a. Team Mom, to the show. Thank you so much, Tara, for joining us. Gentlemen, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. It's especially fun when we're in the arena together with our perfect record. Uh, the Blazers, every time we were in the arena together, have won the game. So um, obviously, we're going to have to keep that up as much as we possibly can. I feel like the Blazers yeah. need to give us minimum contracts. I, I can I can wave a towel pretty damn well, especially when I'm on adrenaline from talking shit. Dude, just <laughs> just let me get in these players' heads. I got this, coach. <laughs> I can stand I can stand in the short corner and shoot threes. I won't play very good defense, but I'll try. Oh, I could totally play obnoxious defense. I could totally do that. That would be such a good thing for me. I could like get right up in somebody and just never. That's when I play soccer. They always put me like on like the big bruiser guy who like knocks everybody around and I get like right up in there and like never let him go. And they, I just drive him crazy. I set pretty damn good screens. Uh, I can attest to that. <laughs> we, we used to play with our uh, good friend Shalmar and his... Uh, ex-girlfriend victoria and i would just just set some wickedly awful screens on victoria and feel just so awful about it <laughs> as i was but laughing it, as i was laughing got, on the way down <laughs> it got me open though so yeah you, I, did your <laughs> you do what you gotta do well the roller coaster season 
was never more evident than it was last week. The Blazers, in the midst of a six-game homestand, were coming off two pretty crunch-time victories over the Lakers and the Thunder before dropping a heartbreaker to the Grizzlies, 98-97. They followed that up on Friday night with maybe their most disappointing uh, outcome of the season, a home loss to the Brooklyn Nets, 101-97. to And in typical Blazer fashion this year, they completely flipped the script, played lockdown defense on the Nuggets, and went 11, maybe 12 guys deep as they really handled their division rival from the Mile High City, 99 to 82. The Blazers now sit at 7-6 and six in the Western Conference, which is 8th right now. And Sage, what was your big takeaway from these three games? Games I thought we would uh, do well in, we did well in. And then games I thought we would do bad in, we kind of pooped the bed a little bit. I mean, you, th- you thought we were going to struggle against Brooklyn? I said it would be closer than we thought because we kind of don't stay disciplined on certain plays. But man, this team so is an enigma of itself. Like I I don't know what we're going to do, man. Like matchups you can sort of dictate game flow from it, but man, motiv- when this team's motivated, we can wreck shop. Yeah, let's 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 talk about the the Brooklyn game first. I know it's a little bit out of chronological order, but I feel like this was almost peak Blazers this year. They would they they look so fabulous one night and then they just I don't know what it is. Is it a motivation? Is it a lack of focus? I mean, they they know they should have handled the Brooklyn Nets. We heard multiple players in the post-game interview saying this was a bad loss. I mean, essentially throwing shade at their opponent, which they don't traditionally do. But for a Brooklyn team that had only won once on the road coming into that game, uh, Portland held a comfortable lead. And I was in, in the arena with with Olga. And it, I, no matter what happens, I felt like we were going to win the game. I was even if they made a run, I was like, there's no way we're losing to the Brooklyn Nets. And then the, they hit us with a 17-0 run and it became a contest. You know, we had to fight back. And then obviously the big story, Terry Stotts only plays Nurkic less than a minute in the fourth quarter when he had um, 21 points, five rebounds, and really was pretty efficient. 10 of 20 from the field, so that's 50%. And bigs were killing the Brooklyn Nets earlier this season. So that was the recipe for success. But Stotts elected to match Kenny Atkinson. They went supremely small. They had Damari Carroll at the five. They were really going one-four sets, letting Russell just kind of operate and doing a little bit of a high pick and roll. We put Ed Davis in there, who is not the rim protector that Nurkic is, nor is he the offensive presence down low. And I, I felt like we just got out of out of sync a bit, Sage. Yeah, I mean, th- wasn't the argument that they wanted Ed Davis for his athleticism and the switching ability? I, that was the argument, but even if that was the case um Russell had his way. Um they had a lot of easy buckets in the paint because one we didn't have a rim protector back there and two we just weren't playing the pick and roll like we did against the Nuggets. I mean if you watch the two games Portland was really fighting through those screens against Denver. There was a legit motivation, a legit will to say we are not letting you run your offense and it was one of the first times I've seen this team 
really fight through screens because Terry Stotts is generally a coach who really prefers to to switch, switch everything. It doesn't matter. That's their that's their philosophy. So for us to fight through those screens, I thought made the difference in the Denver game and it was ultimately one of the bigger differences um, on Friday's matchup with Brooklyn. My thought process is if you're going for the athletic guy, I think Vonley is better at switching and getting those. I would have trusted Vonley in that situation, but it is what it is. The game happened. There's not much we can do about it. So what what did you feel about that uh, at that time, Tara? So we can second guess everything, but we don't know everything that was going on. And I think one of the things that happened after the Brooklyn game is that everybody tried to figure out what was going on. Why was Nurkic benched? Terry Stotts said it was like you said, because he wanted Ed Davis out there to be able to be more mobile, to match up against what Brooklyn had. A lot of people thought that they, you know, if, um, you know, the trailblazers are really going to be built, built around the so-called big three, you need to keep the big three in. Um, but they chose not to run with that. So we can, you know, we can second guess everything that happened, but we don't actually know what really happened. You know, there's all kinds of theories out there. Maybe Nurkic was tired. Nurkic did look tired. Nurkic doesn't look like he's in very great shape. He looks thin, but once he's had several back and forths up and down the, up, uh, the, the length of the field, he looks tired. He doesn't have that step, you know, that, that bounce to his step like he did right after he's come in. Uh, we don't know if he was, and this is something that I, I picked up from a conversation with Brian Freeman on um, our on the Blazers Ed podcast. You know, he was saying we don't know what um, what plays Terry Stotts had asked them to run, and we don't know how well the team was executing those plays. So, from what we saw, you know, we could have thought everything looked fine, but they could have been doing things that you know weren't what the coach wanted. And so that's, you know, that could have been what was going on. We just don't know. But the biggest takeaway I got from that game is that it's just another reminder. You can't get too high and you can't get too low about any of this. I mean, being a fan of a team that has seven injuries on the books and is forever feel fearful about Anthony Davis's uh, health. I thought he was hurt. I thought he just got hurt. And no, we didn't talk about it like you I thought mean, Nurkic was I, hurt yeah it was, he didn't play for a while I was like oh shit that he should be in by now is he hurt I thought that at first but then I mean he got he got taken out at around the 11 45 11 30 mark he was up cheering for his teammates usually if you're hurt you're kind of sitting back and more more mellow he was he was still actively involved in that game um I just feel like it it's not rocket science. You've got a big they have nobody on the roster that's gonna stop him. Put him on the block and get a capable passer and just dump it into him. Let him go to work. He was shooting fifty percent from the field. The only other trailblazer that had it remotely going was Shabazz Napier, who was five of seven. Dame was seven of sixteen. CJ was six of sixteen. Uh Harkless was three of eleven. Nobody had it going, and bigs are the answer to a small Brooklyn team. My frustration with stops in this game is you never ever match with the Brooklyn Nets. You make them match you. I yeah, mean, this isn't Greg this mm-hmm. isn't Greg Popovich. This isn't Rick Carlisle, Phil Jackson. I mean Kenny Atkinson, a good young coach, but that team had no business without Jeremy Lynn like hanging around. So I think Portland hopefully you know I think that definitely played a big role in them coming out with the emotion that they did against Denver. 
But my concern with this squad is we have the easiest schedule, I think, along with the Utah Jazz um, so far. And we didn't get off to that fast start that we all really anticipated looking at this schedule because it really hasn't been um, too tough um, when you look at all of the opponents we played and they're not really what we thought they would be. I mean, Milwaukee started out like gangbusters. They've kind of came back down to life. OKC hasn't really put it together. Uh, the Clippers have struggled mightily since starting, I think, five or, or six and oh. So these games, especially Brooklyn at home, we're going to look back in April and we're going to be in a playoff chase with either the Jazz, the Nuggets, the Wolves, um, the Thunder, whoever. And we're going to be like, damn, we wish we could go back in time and replay that one. So I hope they really learn from it because. Just just how competitive the West is this year. You have to play every game like it's like it's game 82 and and the playoffs are on the line. And uh, that may or may not be realistic. But the teams that come out with that attitude are the teams that are going to be happy with their position come mid-April. So I have a question for you guys. This is something that I've been wondering about for the last few days. Going into the season, everybody did have like the first, you know, 13 or 15 games circled because it was going to be like, oh, this is going to be so easy because we're going to be at home and we have to win those games. They're not going to be traveling. They're going to have home court advantage. We have to come out and they have to come out and establish themselves and win those games. So I totally get that. But a couple of things that have struck me is I don't think it was ever going to be as easy as everybody thought it was going to be. I think as time goes by, home court advantage has become less of a thing. I think it still is a thing, but it's not as stark as it used to be. And the other thing that I'm worried about is that except for that one really that one three game road trip at the beginning, they haven't had time to bond together. So like they come to work, they go to work together and then they go home and then they come to work the next day and then they practice and they play and then they go home. You know, they haven't had these extended time together to really get uh, an extra rhythm together. I mean, and they did great when they were on the road together. So I don't I don't know if that's a thing or not, but it just keeps coming up. Do you guys think that there's anything to that? I will agree that home court advantage isn't what it used to be in the 90s because of traveling they get their own plane i mean especially now they're spacing out the days so you're getting less four games and five nights less back-to-backs but Portland, no four games i mean they have like they have so much time in between games like but, they're not well, and they're not spending it together because they have like two and a half days off well cj and nurk did go out to ringside last night <laughs> what is uh, ringside so it's just a restaurant in portland so place. i, I nice. think they have bonded because it still is the same squad really from from last year. And we'll definitely get a chance to see if that theory you know holds away. I do think teams do the good teams. I would say that the really good teams come together on the road. And after this homestand sick, uh, I think five of the next six or six of the next seven, excuse me, are away from Rip City. So that will be a good test. My concern is even though home court advantage has diminished a bit, it, it you're always going to have a better chance playing at home uh, i mean i know the blazers even when they had the the 91 90 or the 9091 season we were still like 27 and 14 on on the road 
I mean, that's a, a extremely good record. It's so hard to win because even though the days are spread in between, you're still away from home. You're still traveling. I mean, I can just fly to Seattle and back in one day and, and be just like exhausted. So it's still tough. to. It's still harder to play on the road. And the schedule is only going to get tougher. So I completely agree that nothing is ever easy, especially in today's NBA, where I think the, the level of competition is really elevated over the past few years. My concern is that the schedule is only going to get harder. So I, I think that's why it's important for Portland with this four game stretch upcoming, um, including that Denver game. You know, you've got Orlando and back to back against Sacramento. You've really got to, you know, you got to just take care of business because they 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 got to start practicing what they preach because that's all we heard in the offseason was, you know, we got to get up to this good start. The last two years, you know, we've kind of stubbed our toes and had to play catch up. Um, one, it, it'll it's this is a much better Western Conference than it was two years ago where 40, I think it was like 41, 45 wins got us the, the fifth seed. And then I don't know if we're going to catch lightning in a bottle again with an acquisition like Nurk around the deadline. So those were some outliers that I think played into Portland's second half success. I think it's all going to have to come internally. Um, but I've seen some good signs. I think Nurkic um is coming back ever since von Ley, ever since we went to a, a i think a bigger foreman whether it's swanigan or von Ley, i think he just plays a little bit better i i could not tell you why um maybe it's just because i sage do you have any theories on, on why nurk just looks more comfortable with a more traditional four in the lineup not really but the the thing i have to bring up how do you know the road Home splits from the '91 Trailblazers. That is the. So the I, I have that. As as so, you were sa- t- saying it, I just look so ugly at the camera. I'm like, how how do you know? How do you know this? So from '89, so there's '89, '90, '90, '91, '91, '92. They released three video yearbooks at the conclusion of each year that the Blazer Broadcasting put together. I had those three videos at home growing up. You know, I was like between the ages of five and seven when it was happening in real time. So I would just go back and I would, I would, those videos are like my, my, my children, essentially. I would protect them with my life. I watched them so many That's times adorable. That, that like I, I can know the plays, the, the highlights that I've seen, just the stats that, that they, that they reeled off. Um, I totally get that. My kids used to have one uh, a video of um, of trash being recycled, and they watched it over and over and over again. I'm not saying the Blazers are like trash, but what <laughs> I'm saying is that they watched it and they knew absolutely everything about it, and they could like recite everything like still to this day that they learned from that video. So I love that you had these Trailblazer videos that you just basically got all this knowledge from. That's amazing. So with your dedication to basketball. What simple thing do you just forget? Like, I I have trouble remembering people's names, probably because I know the PER of Anthony Davis at any time. So I don't know. I'm actually. What do you struggle with? It has to be something because you can't know all these blazer nuggets without forgetting to like open the door for people or say thank you after you get water at a. I know you do. You're very good at thanking all the wait staff but there has to be something you forget or you're bad about i mean i'm actually a very very detailed and organized person so not much will slip my mind once in a while short term i'll like try to remember what i was thinking about two seconds ago or two minutes ago and that like takes me a while to 
come to my senses, but, but long-term is, is really good. Um, I just try to write things down a lot, even though everything is digital. I feel like if you write things down, uh, it just sticks in your brain a little bit longer. So, um, food, food for thought out there, Rip City, we're giving you organizational <laughs> knowledge on this podcast. <laughs> so he's just bragging about watching. it. I mean, you're just bragging that you're perfect. I don't, I don't believe it, but. It, it's okay. Sage, you do you think anything about the the schedule is? Um, I don't. I just. I just think in general they made some changes to the whole NBA schedule this year that created these giant home um, stands and these. You know, they're going to be these extra long road trips. Which, yeah, they're not going to have four and five, but there's going to be a bunch of them. They're just. I. I. I the rhythm is a little bit off to me. Like it used, you know, by this time of year, I'm, we're getting used to them, you know, playing basically mm. every other night or maybe two nights off. But like, have, have they had a back? I know they have a back to back coming up and maybe they've had one back to back, but I just, I just feel like there's like all this time and I want them to be busy. Well, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I mean, just when, when you look at the schedule at the beginning of the year, you see like, Oh, ten, 10 games at home. So you automatically assume, Oh, we got this. We got this. And it's kind of a bummer to, you know, recording now and say, oh, we might not have gotten them. So, I mean, like, I get it why people are upset that we had it, but it is what it is. And this this is what we have to deal with now. We have to look at the next three games and project that. We can't really change what happened in the past and what we thought was going to happen. So let's move on to go backwards before we talk about Denver and the Grizzly game, which was a very strange contest that Portland somehow found themselves um, in position to to win. You know, CJ hits that three. CJ was really on on fire the whole night, 14, 14 of 26 for you know 36 points and i think you called it sage because he had played so well he's he's just like a grizzly killer ever since that playoff series and then shabazz plays that great defense on conley gets the ball out of bounds and we have a chance to win the game you know cj at the, up to that point was 14 of 25 did have the 36 dame was four of 16 couldn't throw it in the ocean i heard so much hindsight after cj took that shot that i just kind of wanted to crawl into a hole and, and never talk about blazers um, up until the next podcast, <laughs> you, because you could not do that. I... It seems so just blasphemous that you would question that decision to go with CJ McCollum, considering the shot he got. He got a shot going to his left, which he was extremely strong at. He had Dylan Brooks on him. He shrugged him aside, and he was open from about fifteen to seventeen feet. I mean, as soon as he got that shot, I was like, "Ooh, game in or balls in, game's over." You know, we just had a, a crazy comeback. You know, it, it didn't go in. But for people to say, no, it should have been Dame, you know, he was hot against the Thunder he, down the stretch. He had the game winner against the Lakers. That's fine. Like, I think the benefit of having these two great players is you can't mm. go wrong. Mm. In normal nights, yes, I would give the ball to Lillard. But in a, a night like this where it was so much of a drastic difference in performance and considering the shot that CJ got, I will take that shot from CJ every day of the week and twice on Sunday. That was a gorgeous look that goes down eight times out of 10. It just happened to be bad luck that that didn't go in. But regardless of that last shot, why was Portland even in that position, Sage, when I, I didn't feel like the Grizzlies got a strong performance out of Mark Gasol. He was 5 of 14, kept him quiet on the boards, uh, only five, only 16 points. Outside of Conley's 13-point 
um, third quarter, he was held in check as well. How did Portland let this one slip away at home against a team that I thought Memphis played maybe their BB minus game and still was able to knock us off? Well, I mean, I remember, I don't know if you guys saw it, but Tyreek Evans got into a time machine and went back to a rookie year Tyreek Evans with like skills to hit semi contested three pointers. Like most games, I've, I've, I've watched Tyreek for four years. He doesn't hit all those shots. He doesn't hit layups. <laughs> he doesn't hit contested layups like that. Like Tyreek played well. Didn't Mar- Rio played well. Dylan Brooks played well. There was a lot of role players contributing to that game. Yeah, the stars didn't play well, but man, Tyreek Evans that whole annoyed team me. Is better than the sum of their parts this year. Yeah, I mean the cult. They the, just like, are. The, the culture surrounding them, like they've won so for so long, they know how to do it, and then they just fit in random players like Tyreek Evans, Mario Chalmers, Dylan Brooks, James Ennis, and they all played really well. But we have to talk about when CJ McCollum hit him with the wop wop rhythm dribble, then hezied, and then went to the basket on Chandler Parsons. That that was absolutely beautiful. <laughs> that was uh, an actual tweet coming to life right there. <laughs> I mean, I think it just goes to show that Portland is not going to win on many nights where Damian Lillard is 4 of 16. Nurkic is three of nine. Again, only plays 20 minutes. He got into early, early foul trouble. Stupid foul trouble. Yeah, he likes uh, to swipe at the ball he once he gets beats. Two fouls in the first minute of the game. I mean, just really dumb fouls where he just needs to give up the layup. Like, quit swiping, and hopefully he gets better with that because we do not have a backup center. We have a lot of power forwards, but we don't have a center, especially when you're going up against one of the best in Mark Gasol, but even when he came back, he, he wasn't really playing too much. I think he was trying to, you know, force it a little bit, but even then it's just, I think that's why the, the game in Brooklyn or against Brooklyn kind of took the fan base by storm because you've got Nurkic playing only a total of 45 minutes in those two games combined and games we didn't win. I mean, usually the keys to success for Portland are, one of the Blazer backcourt has it going, and then you got Nurk rolling, and then the the role players fill in here and there. I mean, Evan Turner played a fantastic game, 16 points. Shabazz Napier was once again um, in, in a groove, 12 points, 5 of 8 from the field. Um, he had it going. Ed Davis, 10 boards off the bench. So Portland really just needs – I mean, I think it goes to show any team with a star power. The stars got to play well. I mean, especially at home, it's what you expect. Um, but you called it Sage. I thought Dame would continue his 30 point streak. Uh, that came crashing to a halt, but we will see this Grizzly team again. And I think Portland is a much better team than Memphis. That's why I was frustrated at this game. I know Memphis has beat Houston two out of three times this year, but they have also lost to the Lakers. They've lost to Orlando. They're, they're very beatable. They are on the downside of their, their cores peak. I would say with, with Conley and Gasol, so this was disheartening for me because if I'm looking at the playoffs, I did not have Memphis in the playoffs preseason. I still am uncertain if they're going to get there just because it is an 82-game season. Very interested to see how Portland rebounds and plays them in in Memphis because we, we're a better team. And I think Dame is going to play much better um, for whatever reason. Like Certain players just don't play well against certain teams, and we're going to talk about this in a bit when Dame plays Orlando, because that's another team he, he doesn't really traditionally play well against. But um, do you think Sage and Tara, the Grizzlies, are, are for real, or do you think they're going to be with the Blazers and kind of fighting for one of those last three playoff spots? 
I I think that the I think the Grizzlies, like I said, are better than the sum of their parts. I think they're going to have a fine year. I think we probably will be in battling with them for the playoffs. I think the tra- I'm not that worried about the Trailblazers this year. I think they're a, I think they're have improved significantly over last year, and I know the record isn't reflecting it right now. I'm but I'm just not worried. I just feel like they're gonna figure it out, and they're gonna be able to. They're gonna figure it out in time. I don't know. I'm just not that worried. Can I just say a little of A and B because I, I think they are for real in close games. I think they will out execute you. But I also think they are going to be chasing a playoff spot because they've been playing really well. There has to be some regression. No way Tyreek Evans can stay healthy. No way. I mean, Dylan Brooks has been such a surprise. And, like, you've watched Dylan Brooks more than anybody I know. And you said he had humongous bust potential. And I totally agreed with you. So, like, they're they're (laughs) playing playing. really he was playing as a stretch four in college and to go from a stretch four to a two guard in the NBA, that's, that's pretty tough. But at times he showed a, a defensive prowess. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, Pat did the same thing in Notre Dame. Exactly. Um, but let's talk about the Denver game where I think we finally saw what the trailblazers can do when they put their minds to it. I mean, it was obvious from the, the jump, that they knew this was uh, an important game. Denver was eight and five at the time tops in the Northwest division and Portland did not want to lose three straight on, on their home court. Uh, Mason Plumley, Will Barton made a returns to rip city. Uh, Nurk battled uh, Jokic and the nuggets for the second time since the deal. And as was the case in that vital game last year uh, to cement Portland's playoff hopes. And as Nurk wished his former team a happy summer, he essentially had his way with the Denver Nuggets. Portland had their way with Paul Millsap, with Mason Plumley, with all of the Denver bigs. They really, really controlled the game. Um, what surprised me a little bit and what would concern me if I'm a Denver fan, Sage, is the Joker, Nikola Jokic. He doesn't seem to have a killer instinct, and when teams play physical with him, he seems to just hang out on the perimeter. We saw it when Nurk did it last spring. And then we saw when he, he would just isolate him down low and he would just go bully ball and just turn and flick it over a shoulder. And then Jokic would not go near the paint. He would just shoot jumpers. And I know he's a fantastic player, but I think he's more of a, of a two, three than an, a superstar just because those stars have that instinct. And I just don't see that, that dog in him. I, I think it's cause Nurk is just, fucking pissed off like he he's a raging bull against those games because he wants to show out he wants to like you know i deserve minutes Nikola Jokic isn't that good type of thing but i mean i've seen joker play really well against boogie cousins who you know does a lot of the same stuff but i i just think for whatever reason Nurkic gets the better of him in that game i mean if if what worries me is if I'm a Denver Nugget fan, I'm not really wanting to go to the playoffs because I don't really trust our guards. I know I know Gary Harris was out, but Emmanuel Moutier and Jamal Murray are really high variance with how they play. One of them has well, to do well for them to win, and you know I don't really trust a 20-year-old point guard and a 19, 19-year-old to take well, me to the playoffs. Let's be honest here. Jamal Murray is not a point guard. No. Six turnovers, zero assists. 
not a point guard. The dude <laughs> is in the CJ McCollum mode of a scoring two. That should be his role. I and think he could be I, very I, good at that. I do not think, though, that they made the right decision in signing Richard Jefferson and just dropping Jameer Nelson. Jameer Nelson is not an all-world player by any stretch of the means, but he's, he's not going to turn the ball over. He's professional. He's been there. He's done that. And he's going to knock open open threes, and he's going to find guys where they know they want the ball. Yeah, and uh, that, that, that that ability in a point guard is like super underrated. People hate on Ricky Rubio, but he does the same thing with Minnesota and uh, – Utah now, like that, like being able to find your players in their spots is really beneficial. And I mean, Jamal Dury does not give two two shits about trying to find Paul Millsap on the on the the wing in the post. I I, I, I don't know. I mean, Jamal Murray took the most most field goal attempts of the night, uh, seven of nineteen. The second most was Paul Millsap, six of sixteen. And I think the Blazer duo. Of Caleb Swanigan and Noah Vonley did a really awesome job defensively on the Denver Bigs. Tara, what were your thoughts on Swanigan uh, getting his first start of the of his career? So you guys know that I love it when something new gets introduced to the equation. So I loved having Biggie start because I think when they mix things up, it makes everybody have to think more, think harder, pay more close attention. And so I think that was a great, uh, great thing to introduce, to mix things up a little bit. It also, I noticed Terry Stotts when Biggie was in constantly calling plays constantly yelling constantly telling uh biggie where to go directing traffic in a way that it was much more vocal than i'd ever seen him do it so having somebody brand new introduce that starting lineup just made everybody focus that much more i think that it took some of the pressure off nurkic because i think nurkic loves 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 being the center of attention and having somebody new inserted into the starting lineup took some of the attention away from him and that's actually uh better for him because he just kind of can get out of his own head a little bit and just play rather than trying to, you know, be the big center of attention. And I also want to make one other observation. I'm curious what you guys think about that. And I've been, I've been working this in my head, trying to figure out if it's true. I think Noah Vonley makes Nurkic better. Absolutely. What would you guys do to try to prove that? Cause I was like, how would I, how would I prove it? I just think that I think Vonley is a guy who makes other players better. I don't think he on his own is, you know, particularly outstanding, but I was thinking about this day. Noah Vonley's like salt. Like you don't want to have a whole teaspoon of him, but he makes everything better when you sprinkle it on top. What that do you guys is think? an amazing, amazing analogy. I <laughs> love it. I, I don't know why Vonley makes Nurk so much better. I think the way to prove it is just to look at Nurk's numbers when Aminu is in the lineup versus when Von Ley is in the lineup over a large sample size and then kind of, you know, pick and pick and choose the the data that you want to to represent. But I guess, you know, I, I s- struggled to find an answer earlier in the show, but I would say I think it's because Von Ley is a capable defender down low aminu is a supremely talented perimeter defender but nurk knows if he needs help vonley is going to come over and um block the shot nurk is a fantastic or vonley is actually an, a really good rebounder i do not think he gets enough credit for the job he does um on the boards and he doesn't need shots you're right he, he just fits in if he's on summer league and you expect him to dominate 
it's not going to happen. It's a similar situation when Nick Batum played summer league or when Pat Connaughton played summer league. They're just not wired to be the, the, the focal point. And I think when you have a guy like, like Von Ley and Swanigan, when if they get past the ball, they're capable of hitting an open shot, but you don't need to run a single play for them because they will cut to the basket. They will crash the offensive glass. They will do the little things that role, that great role players do. And I just don't think defense can be valued enough, especially in, in today's NBA from the, the interior. I mean, you look at the Blazers when we had uh, Mason Plumley and, you know, Alfred Camino starting. We gave up so many points, you know, especially in the paint. And to see Portland, I know we've had a light schedule, but we're third in defensive rating right now at 99.2. Um, we do a, a fantastic job of really limiting uh, opponents. You know, Denver was held to, to 82 points. They, they get over 100 points uh, per, per game. So I think Portland is doing a great job defensively. And, and I, if you would have said, you know, 13 games in that offense would be kind of the pain point for the trailblazers. I think a lot of people would either laugh or, or scratch their heads or, or not know what to do because that's the a, a exact inverse of what we've come to expect from a Terry Stotts coach team. So if they are going to go on the road, the defense should follow and hopefully the offense they can figure out a way to continue to work in Nurkic and, and just find some, some moving parts because it does look like they're still trying to integrate Evan Turner as a primary role off the bench. They're, they're working with Shabazz Napier, um, trying to see what they can get from that four, what they can get out of Mo Harkless. So hopefully it, it starts to, to come together. But the defense is one thing that should never lapse. And I want to continue to see that defensive effort because whether it was Swanigan playing great one-on-one defense, Fonley, um being just a menace on the perimeter, uh, the guards, I mean, especially Napier and Dame, I, I cannot praise them enough for how well they, they just, they fight through those screens. And Napier is just a straight up pest that play where he just, we scored and he stole it right out of the inbounds came out of nowhere was, was vintage Shabazz Napier. And it, it's, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that this team plays better when Napier gets more minutes. Um, so I know I've kind of, move the conversation from Bonley to Napier, but both of those guys are so key. They're so young, but they, they provide just like you said, that, that extra spice that, that, they, that this recipe that we call the trailblazers needs for it to be, you know, a delicious meal. I, I, I've <laughs> never seen Dustin so happy when you were complimenting <laughs> Noah Bonley. I was just looking at his face on Skype and I was like, damn. <laughs> that, I, I love, love Noah Bonley. I, I, I love, love him as Noah well, Bonley. but Dustin has a has a thing for him that I I just I just I'm with think you, Dustin I totally have a thing for yes, him. Yes, I just think in general Blazer population, Noah Vonley does not get the love. Oh, absolutely that he not, deserves. absolutely not. Everyone um, was upset. We traded Nick Batum and we got a season of Gerald Henderson and this you know lottery pick um, out of Indiana. You know, a young kid named Noah Vonley, and he 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 didn't set the world on fire. But you have to temper your expectations for what the player is. And you have to see what he can provide. And he's, he's never going to be a 20-point-per-game score, probably never a 15-point-per-game score. But if he can give you 10 points, 12 boards, and a couple of blocks and play lockdown defense, that was essentially Buck Williams. That was Brian Grant. Like All Blazer fans would go back in time and try to clone that player. So just appreciate Noah for what he is because as long as he brings that defense, he, he has got guaranteed minutes, in my opinion, in the rotation. And, and you can definitely I, say Shabazz Napier defensively is like a, like a terror big. 
Yeah, how excited were you guys to see Dame and CJ sitting on the bench with Shabazz playing actual backup point guard? I was so happy to see that. Well, I believe we had all five bench players for an extended period of time in the second quarter. And I think Portland actually ended up outscoring the Nuggets by by a plus six while Damon, CJ, Nurk, Swanigan, and Mo were were on the pine. And I, I don't think that the bench will perform like that every night. Um, you know, Evan Turner shot the lights out seven of 11. I believe we outscored them 42-14 on the, the bench. But when it is rolling like that, take full advantage of it. Rest your stars as much as you can because – um, really when they came back in, that's when Denver made their run. It wasn't until that third quarter when Portland kind of put their foot down and said, you know, we're not going to have any of this. We outscored them 30 to 17 to take, you know, a five point lead and push it up to 18 going to the fourth quarter, really putting it out of hand. But the, the bench, they, they deserve the game ball. All of them should get a piece of it because it was their really attention to detail and their execution you know usually when you see bench a heavily um a lineup heavily influenced by the bench you see a lot of questionable plays you see a lot of questionable shots you see the shot clock winding down sometimes when it shouldn't force shots maybe just not knowing where to be maybe stepping out of bounds just making little errors the execution was phenomenal i mean there was not a drop off there was not a bad shot attempted and that's going to be key because i think this blazer team is better when they play 10, 11 guys, it, it allows them to go harder on defense. And I think that's what they need to do is expand the rotation during the regular season so you can exert maximum effort on the defensive end because defense is going to lead to offense. I know that a lot of talk around Rip City has been Portland's averaging just four points per game on the fast break. That's dead last in the NBA. And when you have one of the youngest teams in a really athletic bunch, that, that shouldn't happen. And we saw early on in that Denver game, you know, Case in point, just a, a great pass ahead to Harkless. He finishes, you know, CJ took uh, a one on two and just went to the basket and got a layup. I think we need to try and get more easy buckets because, you know, basketball is a 48 minute game. And anytime you can get an easy bucket, that could be the difference between winning and losing a game on a last second shot, which we've seen countless times already through 13 games this year. Can we go back in time? I went on a, a, to a game with Miss Tara Biggs, and it was fantastic. I just, I just wanted to tell you on this podcast, it was really fun to hang out with you. And you happened to tell me, "Hey, I noticed that we're not really running in the fast break, and it's definitely a thing now." Oh, like a week <laughs> and a half ago, you said it. I mean, Tara, Tara said it first. Well, I had a really great time going to the game, and it was also uh, really fun to be able to see Dustin at the same time. And it was fun to, you know, watch a live game together and talk about what was going on. But yeah, did you think that I was going to be like a really loud and annoying yeller, or did you think that I was going to be like a quiet? What kind of what did you think going in that I was going to be like at a game? I thought you were going to be more mellow, and then it would make me more mellow. Did you think I was? I you didn't think I was mellow. I thought I was. I thought, mellow. I thought you were totally mellow, and then it made me okay. like. It made me have a vibe where I was like, all right, Tara and I can just talk and chill and talk about the game, talk about what we see. And I was just like, all right, I enjoy it. I mean, if it was against New Orleans, there's no way in hell you would have kept me quiet and chill. But like against the Grizzlies or the Thunder, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. 
I was like, oh, you don't I, even remember. I, I know. I, I'm, that's why I, I brought up that we, we went to the. I'm sorry, I forgot which one I happened to go to, but no, like she, she is definitely an elite person to watch a game with, as well as so Dustin. I, but he did, he has a totally different vibe where he's like, <laughs> like I I remember when we were in the 200 sections when you went to when you worked for the team and you were just like the first one starting the chant every time. Like it's a different vibe, and and for me, when certain games, you know, I, I like being loud, or I like, you know, just chatting about the game. I'll have to bring dust into the next one. Yeah, but I, when, I like that. Or, well, yeah, except you got you probably have better seats than I do. Well, <laughs> I, 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 I think yeah, it's. It, I, I'm definitely the favorite of the Holy Backboard Boys. I mean. <laughs> I will never tell. But uh, you don't need things- to tell. I already know. <laughs> <laughs> when when we were there, when we were when we were conversing at halftime, you said we got to have Tara on the podcast because I think we were getting really negative. And so I've been thinking about that, and I've been trying to pinpoint why I'm not worried about this team, even though our record is not what we wish it would be this time. And I think there's a couple of things going on. Last year, when the Trailblazers came out the gate, they kind of fell flat. Their defense wasn't as good as they'd hoped, and then they couldn't get their offense together. And then it was just like this ugly spiral through like December and into January until they could finally get out of it because they had nothing that they could fall back on. And last year, through the first 12 games, they actually had a six and six record last season, but they had lost games by 23 by 31 and by 25 points. So the record was better, but there were some brutal, horrible, gut-wrenching losses. Now we don't, the, the team doesn't have, didn't have as good a record. Um, or I guess it was exactly the same, but they'd had all these very close games. And every time they're, offense let them down they could at least turn back and play defense and it's very rare that they would lose their defensive abilities for an extended period of time they would miss assignments they might have a quarter at the most where they just start they just like flat out like we're not playing well they on defense they would blow it or whatever for like a quarter but that's the most that they have fallen down in this situation. And one of the things that we talked about on the Blazers Edge podcast this weekend is that Dan was pointing out, he was like, we used to not even be allowed to talk about defense because it was just so like, what could we possibly say? And now we're at this point where the team is playing good enough defense that if we criticize it, we can criticize it knowing that they know how to do it right because we've seen them do it right over and over again. And so it's fascinating to me now that you know, at, at the end of a game where it's been a, it was a close game and the Blazers lost, you know, I'll see on Twitter, somebody will isolate like one just totally bad defensive possession. And then they'll post that and it'll make the rounds all over the internet. Like suddenly the Blazers are a terrible defensive team and, and they're not, they are fine. They're actually almost a good, I mean, how many years have we been just begging to have average defense? We have at least average defense right now. I'm, so I'm I'm just not worried. The thing that they've been talking about all year, they've been talking about accountability and consistency. And you know what's not exciting to watch is people learning how to do accountability and consistency. But that's what's eventually going to end up winning them games. So that's my positive spin. When you said like 
we got to we got to get a little bit of a positive. That's what I would say. I mean, the Blazers are definitely going to be to be tested because looking at the rest of of November, I think Portland has three winnable games, which we'll discuss just here in a, in a minute with Orlando and back to back against Sacramento. But then I think this is probably Portland's toughest stretch of the early part of the season. You've got at Memphis, at Philadelphia, who is looking just absolutely and just so much fun to watch with Simmons and a healthy Embiid. You've got Brooklyn in Brooklyn, which is a 9 a.m. start Pacific time. That is so brutal. <laughs> the day after Thanksgiving. Then you've got a, a back-to-back in Washington where, to be honest, I can't remember the last time we've won in D.C., uh, then you've got uh, the 27th at New York playing a resurgent Knicks team. You know, the Madison Square Garden brings out the best and everybody, but that's no longer a, a pushover game like we thought towards the end of the season. And then to end the month, we have a rematch against Giannis and the Bucks, a team that has really pretty much taken care of us the last two or three times we've played since the Greek freak has become the Greek freak. So Portland. I, I don't expect them to, you know, play 600, 700 ball uh, over the stretch. But if they can play 500 ball and just kind of stick, keep their heads above water, because the last thing they need is is a losing streak. And so to your point, Tara, there's only been one bad loss in terms of point differential, and that was the Raptors game. So it is good to see we are playing competitive and will need to be because there are a lot of games in there that we're playing some young teams, young teams on the road when we're the road team that feed off their home crowd. So it'll be important that Portland brings their defense with them on the road and really tries to neutralize that those hostile environments. I mean, like, honestly, I trust the Blazers defense more than I trust New Orleans's defense. New Orleans was a top seven defense last year. For whatever reason, I think it's a boogie-sized deficiency. We suck at we as in New Orleans suck ass at de- defense. It pisses me off. I, I think I tweeted, "Pelicans are pissing me off." I hope the Blazers handle biz, and like they they they're on top of their rotations. I I'm kind of I agree with Tara. That defense isn't as bad as three years ago, two years ago, one year ago. I mean, this is a it's it's respectable. Well, and if you look, they're doing things consistently. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the thing. And that's one of the things that, that Brian was pointing out this weekend on, again, the, the Blazers Edge podcast is he was talking about good defense is about consistency. It's not about always coming up and having the big flashy uh, blocks. And those are exciting and fun and everything. But good defense is doing the right things all the time. And I think the Blazers have a pretty simple and straightforward defensive scheme. So it doesn't look very sexy. But I think that they are learning how to they're they're getting it down. And I think it might not be the, the best and flashiest, but I think it's going to end up being effective. I, I all right, I have to isolate this and share it with people that try and play NBA 2K with me that suck the <laughs> defense and will make excuses like, I, hey, I got to block that game. I, I, de- I definitely need to just share this clip with them. And I, I mean, you explain it like th- th- those big plays are all fun and good. But if you can't. Stop the person in front of you. That block is kind of meaningless. Yeah, right. they get the, they get the crowd going, but it's like if you get a block and then two seconds later they get the put back anyway. <laughs> so I, I mean, you referenced your other podcast, but I happened to listen to one that was released uh, last week, 
and I'm really happy that you're doing this. Could you tell uh tell the fans what Blazers What is? Because yeah, I, mean, I think it's the dopest thing. Like when you told when you told me about it, I was I, I was really happy that someone is doing it for the fans of uh, the Trailblazers. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. So the uh, I, I as you guys have mentioned before, I co-host the weekly Blazers Edge podcast, but we just released the first edition or the first episode of a new edition called uh, Women's Hops and Talks, uh, which is named after a, a meetup that we started uh, last season. And um, Women's Hops and Talks podcast is all about elevating the voice of women in basketball. And so um I, it's going to be on a couple times a month and me and my co-host, whose name is Kendall, she's a college student back East and we're going to talk to women who are involved in basketball and just try to elevate the voices of women who are involved in uh, basketball in a lot of different ways. So our first guest was Jamie Hudson, the digital uh, reporter for Comcast or what are they called? NBC sports. And uh, we've got a, an AP journalist coming up. We've got um, some folks from other fan bases who are bloggers or writers. Um, you know, it's I I look on purpose to try to find things that are written by or even harder to come by, you know, podcasts with women talking about basketball. And they're just hard to find. And so, you know, I'm not like the greatest writer and I'm not like the, the best speaker, but I can find a place and invite people to come on and talk. So blazer's edge, you know, we have, uh, we already have like, you know, a pretty good sized, uh, subscription and audience and they were super supportive and happy to host women's hops and talks to, you know, try to get, you know, some exposure for this. So, we had the first one come out. The next one will be out in a couple of weeks. And we got some really nice responses. We got uh, put up on the uh, the best of the NBA on SB Nation. They put us up on there. So that was that was exciting. But I, I'm really excited about this new project. So a question that I've heard on the podcast, because that was the first non-Holy Backboard Blazers podcast that I've heard 100% of the way through. Dustin, who do you think the future face of the NBA is? In yeah, we terms about of that. like basketball players, like who's the? F- I like, yeah, we, we talked about, like, about the... are you talking about like LeBron is now, but who is it going to be in five yeah. years? Yep. Yeah. Oof. I mean, I, I think it's still in five years. I hope it's not Steph and KD, but the, they'll still be up there. They'll probably be maybe where LeBron is now, where just. Just at, at at the top of the hill, but ready to to start to roll down. Um, Giannis is definitely the there. I mean, Giannis is definitely there. Um, if he can stay healthy, it's Joel Embiid is just nasty. That up fake he had on DeAndre Jordan, and then he flushed it and then stared down Blake Griffin. The NBA needs more of that. I love the nastiness. No more hugs and hand pounds. I want to see more Arthur memes. I want to see more trash talking on Twitter. Um, let's, this is the, this is the new Lakers Celtics rivalry where Kevin McHale is, you know, clotheslining Kurt Rambis. We're just talking trash about each other on Twitter, like bring it back. Um, so I love what Embiid's doing for the game. Um, Kawhi Leonard is still going to be, he's still young. He's still fantastic. Um, Ben Simmons. Do you think he has enough charisma though, to be like the new face of the NBA? 
he probably won't ever be the face, but he's always going to be a top he's, three he's player. He's supremely skilled, but I don't yeah, know. But he's like pop- when I think about like the the face of the NBA, I think about like if somebody if I'm talking to somebody who's not very familiar with basketball and they want to know why I'm into the NBA, I'll well of course I'll talk about the Blazers, but I'll also talk about LeBron James and I'll explain why LeBron James is so popular, why he's such a phenomenal player, everything else that he brings to the game along with just being a good player. And so on Women's Hops and Talks we were trying to figure out like who was going to take over that role. And I think Giannis was probably the the one that we thought about the most, but we weren't quite sure if he was going to have the same kind of charisma that that LeBron has. I don't um, think so. I mean, when you, if you're talking about the face and the global icon like like Jordan, like like LeBron, I mean, Kobe to an extent, but LeBron's taken it to another level. I mean, I think once KD starts falling, once KD and Steph, once they reach their, their pinnacle, and yeah, start th- it won't off, be them. I don't think it's I, I don't there's not there's not another LeBron James. I, I haven't seen you know, one coming through in the draft. I haven't seen, you know, there's not this new superhuman prospect coming out that you usually hear um years in advance. I, I think it's actually gonna be a faceless NBA for the first time ever. There are gonna be so many different stars, especially international stars, when you look at the guys like Jokic, you look at um even even Nurk, I mean, you've got Porzingis, uh, you've got guys coming in from France like like uh, Frank uh, Nilakina. Um, not saying he's a star, but I mean, he was drafting the lottery out of, out of France, and you're starting to see more and more of a Euro invasion mm-hmm. come over. I just think it's going to be maybe the first faceless era, and I don't think that's necessarily going to be a bad thing because maybe they'll get away from saying. We're going to watch Carl Anthony Towns and the Timberwolves take on Russell Westbrook and the Oklahoma City Thunder. It's going to now be Timberwolves Thunder. And, oh, shit, I know the Wolves got Butler, Towns. You know, they just added Teague and they have Andrew Wiggins. And obviously the Thunder have have that big three. Um, I'm tuning in. So it's no more. It's not going to be that that one versus one. Hopefully it becomes five on five. And I think that's what will ultimately take the NBA to the next level, especially just because I think it's already becoming more and more popular and personas like an Embiid will drive the league. But I just think it's going to be so good when you don't have to worry about the superstar treatment. I think there's just going to be so many of them at once that everyone's going to feel a little bit of the love. That's a very good good answer. answer. Hey, high five. (laughs) I got to get my power cord over here back. All right. So the other day, Anthony Davis went to the locker room, and it was DEFCON 0 for Pelicans fans. I think I tweeted, like, oh, I please be okay. Turns out he had to pee and went to the locker room <laughs> to pee. Could you imagine, Blazer fans, if Twitter was around for Bill Walton? Oh, oh God. I don't even want to think about Bill Walton in a social media world. Yeah, just like, he fell on the ground. Oh, no, the season's over. That type of stuff. I mean, like, well, it was a lot like when Greg Oden went yeah. down again and again. I've been like, AD just had to pee. That's, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> he just had Imagine to pee. Imagine the feeling of relief. Oh my God. I was, the- I was about to like send the longest text stream about how the Pelicans are cursed to dust. And, and then I was like, oh, he's back. Okay. Everything's good <laughs> with the world. Like, dude, you didn't know like that halftime was going to be over soon and you could have just gone. <laughs> it was like, you know, 10 minutes left in the fourth. Wait, what, where, where is he? Where is he? 
Oh, okay. He just has to pee. All right. But I will say, the next game, some dumbass left a mop like standing on the the stanchion where the hoop is, and he slid on it and did like a, a like the splits. I oh. that was I thought it was Defcon Zero again, and he he played the next like you know he was out for like a minute and then played. I mean. Dude, if Bill Walton was playing, the, the Twitter storm would be unbelievable every time he hit the ground. All right, let's take a quick commercial break from our sponsors, and then we will dive into a few questions from Tara and preview the upcoming slate of games. For you, the listeners of the Holy Backboard podcast, Team Snap is offering a free 21-day trial. Team Snap is every coach and parent's dream an easy-to-use, indispensable tool for organizing and communicating every aspect of team life. Sign up for a free 21-day trial in 30 seconds or subscribe to a premium package with added features like unlimited photos and file storage and customization unique to their team. TeamStep also provides a free Android and iPhone app so teams can be managed on the go. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Holy Backboard Podcast. Dustin and Sage here with our special guest, Team Mom, aka Tara Biggs, aka our favorite Tara, <laughs> aka oh. my white mom. If my white mom, if I had a white mom, <laughs> thank you. For, I'm so honored. Thank you for joining the the podcast uh, once again. Um, you brought up a great question right before we went to break, and I want to I want to hear that again so Sage and I can take a crack at it. Yeah, um, I'm really curious about what you guys think is going to happen once Aminu and Myers are back. I mean, so I guess Myers is officially active now. He didn't play in the last game, but he is healthy. And gosh, I hope it's not too much longer that Aminu is out. But, you know, there's... There's been, you know, Swanigan in the lineup. What do you think is going to happen when there's a couple more people that uh, could potentially be in the rotation? I think Myers is officially out uh, of the rotation. I think if he could have been traded, he he would have been gone. But he has two years remaining on his contract, including after this year. So that's almost like uh, just an anchor of a cost. And I just think he's going to be with the team. Another GM's not going to take him unless you package that with a first round pick. And we a bad contract have- coming back. Yeah, we already have a lot of good, talented bigs who who are just better than better than Myers in general. So I think Myers may play if something's just not going right and Terry's looking for a spark here and there. But I would essentially say that Myers is out of the rotation. He didn't even get um, mop up minutes last night. I think Zach Collins has moved ahead of him just to see what what Zach can do as he was our you know our, our young rookie from Gonzaga. Aminu's a little bit more tricky. I do not think he comes back and starts at the four. Uh, and I don't think that was ever the plan. I just think Von Ley got hurt to start the season and it forced Aminu into a comfortable, familiar position as the stretch four. But with the success that Nurkic has shown with Swanigan and Von Ley starting alongside of him, I think Aminu has an opportunity to win starting minutes from Mo Harkless, who, for whatever reason, hasn't been able to to get it going this year. I think not pushing the tempo has really hurt Mo. He is a, a get-out-and-go type of player. I don't think we do him really um, a service by just letting him stand on the perimeter and hoist up threes whenever he gets open. He's much better when he's slashing to the hoop. 
um, out in transition, trying to pack it on anyone and everyone. But I think there's a really good chance you put Aminu at the the three because Aminu is still the fourth or fifth option on offense with the starters. Right now, he's a better three-point shooter statistically, and he is a little bit better of, of a defender. So if, if I'm Terry, I'm looking at experimenting at that lineup with Aminu at the three, you know, Damon CJ, and then you've got either Biggie or Noah starting at the four alongside Nurk. And I think that gives Portland an extremely solid defensive front line, especially if Noah's there, which is pretty intriguing. And I hadn't really thought about that until, until you brought it up and it got me thinking, okay, where are we going to fit Aminu into this, this mold? I think the one player it might hurt a little bit is maybe a guy. It, it might be a Swanigan or a Ned Davis or an Evan Turner, because those, I mean, you bring Aminu back, the minutes have to come from someone, and I don't think he's going to take them all from Mo Harkless. And, and I mean, the way he's played this year, he definitely deserves minutes. He's been, you, at, in certain times he was our third best player on the court, and I think having him at the three would mean that we have three elite rebounders in to maybe even push transition a little bit more, and then that that we have those two guards. So it means Aminu might be cutting more. I mean, it adds more wrinkles to our offense, which is a good thing. But uh, I have to be obnoxious and ask, when you talk about more transition, are you thinking and advocating for Aminu bringing the ball up the court? Absolutely not. My Absolutely heart, not. My heart can't take it, but I would not mind him getting the rebounding uh, rebound and pass it. And, then and we, starting it. Yeah, the, being the break starter is important. He doesn't need to be the one dribbling. He could just be getting... He's still touching the ball and is involved in the play. I mean, it, it's weird. Like, when the shot goes up, I can. I already know CJ and Dame aren't getting it. So having that third rebounder will cut down on offensive rebounds from the other teams. Just think about if we played New Orleans, for instance. AD and Boogie are getting boards, but if Nurk and Bonley could, you know, box out. Minu could just run through and get all those boards, kind of like how Robin Lopez just boxed out and Aldridge got his rebounds that way. Man, it was so fun watching Swanigan on Millsap. That was Millsap was just so annoyed. It was so fun to watch. I really enjoyed that. And I think this is going to be, I mean, we have plenty of time until February's trade deadline, essentially, you know, 40 maybe 50 or so more games to go. But this is going to be a, a trial period for a lot of the players to see if they're going to stick with this roster either through the end of the season or in the summer because outside of the big three, everyone is expendable. I mean, anyone can be really replaced. So it's going to be up to each individual role player essentially to prove prove their worth on, on this team. And like, we really need you because – I mean, you go down the roster and you just have so many either above average players or players who have a, a specialty or young players with potential. And you just you start to run out of hands when you go with, oh, Napier needs playing time. Oh, well, Swanigan got the start. You know, he's looking good. Bonley plays great defense. Oh, but Ed Davis, when he gets it going, you know, he's one of the best, you know, um, garbage men, you know, energizers off the bench in the NBA. And then you start thinking, well, Evan Turner has played actually pretty dang good this year in spurts. And there's Mo Harkless who has, you know, spurts uh, of things. And then you start thinking yeah. Al Farouk Aminu and Terry's thoughts. That's for sure. And we haven't even talked about Pat Connaughton, who has actually played pretty, pretty or the strong. tenth pick in the draft. Or is that yeah? So there are so many 
moving parts in it. As much as I was advocating for a 10 and 11 man rotation, you can't push that to 12 or 13. There has to be some sort of a limit. Guys have to get into some sort of, of a rhythm. So I think it's really going to be an extended tryout in to see who makes makes the cut because Portland, I think, still has a glaring need. And I think Sage can attest to this. I think we really need a stronger backup or starting either a stronger starting three or a stronger backup two. I think we're just missing one really solid wing player in the same vein as a, a Jay Crowder, just that guy who you know you're what you're going to get from night in and night out. And if Portland has the parts to, to get that done, I think they should definitely look to consolidate, but we just don't know how they're all going to work together 13 games into the season. Yeah, it's weird. Like guards, you know, Eric Bledsoe got traded. There's talks of Reggie Jackson getting traded. Teams aren't giving up their D and three wings. So if there's a trade that comes about, like let's say Jay Crowder says, I don't like playing with LeBron. We need to jump on that trade immediately because the reason Alan Crabb got that big deal is because his position's kind of rare. So when that trade comes out, I, I think Neil needs to jump on it. What do you think, Tara? When, when Aminu get, gets back, where do you see him playing? Well, I, I was wondering about him going to the three. So I was interested you said that because I, I do think that he's so versatile and like he's probably our one of our most positionless players. Mm. Like I think he you know, can do, he can guard so many different positions and he can play so many different positions. I was wondering if you thought that he would might be uh, slotted in as a forward uh, or, you know, like a small forward instead of the power forward. I just can't wait to see him back on there. You know, the, the few times that the, um, the, you know, the Blazers were struggling on defense. I just kept thinking, man, having him in there to just Mm. get things going would be really great. And also in that, Brooklyn game I was thinking we could have really was it the Brooklyn game I was thinking we could have really used Myers just to put in for like three or four minutes just to get in there and just like shake things up again as that you know the disruptive um influence like he was against you know for the few minutes that he played against the Pelicans he came in and he mm-hmm. he got in somebody's head and he didn't need to be play long he just needed to be in there for just a little while to shake things up. I, I, I think you might be the only one thinking Myers would have would have made a, a positive impact. Uh, I'm not anti Myers, but he just needs to be traded. He is, I was thinking he is Aminu, so hated here. I was thinking Aminu actually would have made a, a big difference because he could have been the small ball five mm-hmm. in that scenario outside of Ed Davis and could have stuck with you know the Damari Carrolls and and helped out much quicker. I think on, on the pick and rolls. Um, but let's get into Myers has the... six fouls. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, so does Zach Collins. <laughs> Myers can do a lot more with his six fouls than Zach Collins can. Uh, I've seen. I think that ship has sailed in, in my book. I well, mean... it's still at the dock. Sorry. <laughs> uh, don't don't remind me, Tara. Uh, let's <laughs> get nice. into these uh, upcoming games. Portland ends their homestand against uh a surprising Orlando Magic team that is uh, eight and six and sitting uh, firmly in, in the five slot out east. They've had some great wins, um, beating Memphis in Memphis, but then they've 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 also destroyed Cleveland in Cleveland. But they've came back down to life a, a little bit. Sage, what does Portland 
have to do to end the homestand on on a positive. This is actually one of the few teams that I've watched. I think five of their games. I'm kind of wow. familiar. It, Aaron Gordon has been surprised. I I used to think Aaron Gordon were, Aaron Gordon was Alfredo They have the same skills. They both dunk well. The rebound. Aaron Gordon has more playmaking, but his shot has been very consistent this year. Um, the with Aaron Gordon, who I mean, he's a star. The one thing with Aaron Gordon is we don't have anyone to stop him. The only person that can stop Aaron Gordon is Aaron Gordon because he loves picking up bad fouls. <laughs> you don't think Von Ley is tailor made to defend him with his athleticism and forcing him to? Yes, his jumper has gotten better, but forcing him to stay outside on the perimeter rather than put the ball on the floor and get to the bucket. Well, I mean, Von Ley's not. I, I Biggie's going to start the game according to what everybody's been saying. I have a feeling. Scotts did that last minute. You don't. I mean, I, I wouldn't no, put well, it against him to just do the old switcheroo again. I mean, as of right this second, Swanigan is slotted as the starting power forward. I'm thinking Aaron might get really hot going against Caleb. He's actually the first. He is the lockopotamus for me in daily fantasy. Aaron Gordon versus the Blazers because he he can attack in different ways. But I think Vonley honestly has a much better chance at stopping him. Forcing him to take those shots. The player that I'm actually really worried about us stopping is Evan Fournier. He plays within himself. He's really crafty. Getting to the basket. Hitting threes. Playing surprisingly good defense. Um, it, It's crazy to see that they have so many wings to just throw out at you. Like They got Jonathan Simmons, Fournier, Isaac, Wesley Awondu. Aaron Aflalo. Well, they have a Wandu. They have your favorite. Yeah, they have my favorite. Of course, I, I of course I mention him, but uh, it, it, they they have a lot of wings to throw at us. Um, if Nurk can just stay consistent on uh, Voos, I mean Voos has has a three point shot now. It, it it they have a lot of options to hurt us, and they have a good coach. So they do have a lot of options. They are young. However, they are a sieve defensively in the paint. They allow Absolutely. 51.9 points per game in the paint. That is the worst in the NBA. We have a big fella down there who loves to get busy in the paint. So I think there are two two keys to, to, the, to victory tonight, or Wednesday night, excuse me. Portland has to live in the paint just like they did against Denver. Do not fa- fall in love with the three. Either the guards take it to the paint and try to attack um, Aaron Gordon and Vucevic, who aren't aren't shot blockers? They're not known to, well, Bismack to protect. Is. If Bismack's in the game, Portland's doing something right. I mean, I I think. <laughs> and then the second key is, is Damian Lillard. We really play. I mean, it's it's no surprise. I mean, it's Captain Obvious. Portland plays better when Dame is at his best. Unfortunately, in ten career games against the Magic, he is averaging only eighteen point nine points per game. I think that's third or fourth worst. Um, of any NBA team shooting just 21% from three and 37% from the field. Um, I don't know if it's Alfred Payton, but whatever it is, there's just certain teams that Dame does not play well against. Um, Memphis being one, the Clippers for a while, and now Orlando. So I think if Dame has a big game, you can chalk it up. I mean, this is going to be a Blazer victory because historically you can look back and say, well, we're not going to get very much from Dame. But if he gives us, it's it's just asinine to say this, but if Dame gives us anything, 
that should be icing on the cake for the Trailblazers because everyone else should should play at least up to their their current averages. But Dame finally getting off uh, the 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 schneid so to speak against the magic and then just living in the paint those are my two x factors for the magic tara what will you be looking for you know i don't know orlando well enough i just know like you said that uh, alfred payton is uh really frustrating to play against it seems like our, our team has always struggled against him I'm he's just dealing looking with really some quickly. uh nagging injuries I, oh is he not playing this year he, this he's game? playing but a lot okay. of times he gets uh he 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 like injury concerns. Yeah. So sometimes it's well, just Shelvin Mack being their only point guard. Huh. Well, I was looking at their um at, at the four factors and the place where they um appear to be the weakest are their rebounding. Yeah, Vuce and, doesn't really care uh, about that. And we, you know, or the Trailblazers, you know, have been real as we all know, have been, you know, really good at rebounding. So if we can turn those rebounds into points, um, if Damien can't uh, get into a groove, the nice thing is, is, you know, that he can play defense um, and make a little room for CJ, but we just can't have both of them not mm. scoring. Um, that would be my thing. Yeah. So as, as long as two of, you know, the three, um, you know, focal points are, were, are clicking offensively, I think they should be fine. But again, you know, there's just some teams that <laughs> there's just nothing given. <laughs> Not, every one of these games is going to be hard. Sage win or loss, bud. How many games are we covering? This and the two Kings. Yes. And this is a tough one. I'd say we lose this game. I mean, I gave my factors. They're extremely <laughs> oh, uh, weak. In the game. I was just I was just feeling the disappointment from both of you when I said they'll lose. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, given given the sheer the silence. I know. I was like <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if we lost, given how Jekyll and Hyde we've been this year, but Looking at their weaknesses versus our strengths, um, we essentially did the same thing to the Nuggets. It should be the same exact game plan. Denver is not stopping anyone in the paint. I think we, at one point, were outscoring them 30 or 40 to 14 or something like that in the paint. Uh, Portland, just just do the same thing. Do not settle for threes, and I think we get it done. Hopefully that Denver game was that spark. And knowing it, it is the final game of the homestand, like this cushy schedule – it's it's ending pretty soon, so take advantage, uh, Tara. What do you think? What's going to happen? Yeah, I think this is the mo- of the next three games. This is going to be the hardest one, I think. Um, but I think that they might still have some momentum with the newness of uh, a Biggie and the you know the focused Nurk um, after the benching. I think we might they might still be able to ride that uh, to the victory, and then I think they'll win at least one, if not both, of the ones in, in sac- against Sacramento. Sage, looking at the Kings, Portland plays back-to-back for just the second time this year. Uh, Friday night in Sacramento, Saturday night in Rip City. Uh, What do you make of the Kings, who I'm honestly a little surprised at how poorly they've played so far this year. They're 3-10 in the the league. That is second-worst in the Western Conference. They are just 1-7 on the road. They've only played five home games, so maybe it's... um, 
uh, a schedule d- disparity, forcing them to play so many games on the road. Um, they did bring in Zach Randolph. They brought in Vince Carter and, and George Hill. And they've got an exciting rookie in De'Aaron Fox. But this, to me, appears like a the first Sacramento game appears to be a trap game. What do you think? I, I mean, with the Kings, they're all about that tank life. I've seen games where George Hill's fine. And they just rest him. Same with Buddy Heal. Same with Zach Randolph. I'm I, I'm expecting us to win both games because I don't I don't. I, they know they're trying to get that pick. It it. it I, I'm kind of worried about one of those games where Buddy Heal is just hitting everything. Like that's all I'm really worried about. I, honestly, I think they went heavy one too many vets. On that team, like I, I think George Hill's fine. De'Aaron Fox is probably not ready. Zebo, okay, that's cool. You get to have a guy that will teach the 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 bigs what NBA life's out. I think they went a little too far with signing Vince Carter and the other two. I mean, you want to give all of your young guys, you know, the 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 thought is we're we're youth movement, but then they sign three vets that are expecting some sort of playing time. Um, you know, we're just a more talented team. De'Aaron's not ready yet. I think we're winning both games. I think the key for Portland, one, second chance points. The Kings are the worst team in the NBA at giving up second chance points. They give up 15.2 um, second opportunities to their opponent. I think that makes it come down to a will, a want, a more you've just got to have that inner desire to beat this team because they're essentially letting teams do that on mm. more than one occasion and it comes down to intangibles so the leadership of, of dame and cj has to be evident they have to be really locked in for these two games because i know it's an 82 game season i know it's a back-to-back and the Sacramento Kings isn't exactly the most sexy team to to get up for. You know, it's easy to get up for the Nuggets. They're division rival. They're coming to your home court. Um, playing the, the Kings is almost the exact opposite. They're, they're just a terrible team. Um, the crowd's not going to be as into it as they would have LeBron and the Cavs mm. in town. So I'm going to look for the effort right off the bat. And I think if this is more evident for Friday's game in Sacramento, but if Portland lets them hang around early on in that contest, they are going to lose that game. I, I think they'll win the Saturday home game regardless. Uh, I would just be extremely surprised if they dropped that that game. I, I know it would be worse than the Brooklyn loss in terms of um, just a gut punch, and I, I think they've learned their lesson there. So I definitely think they win the home game. But the road game, I'm really torn about and I'll say they win, but I think the road game is going to be um, just an absolute dogfight, grinded out, ugly. It might be another last-second game on the line, Dame, Dame takes over type of game. Tara, what do you think about the Kings? I know you said uh, we'd win. You said we'd, we'd split those games? Um. No, I think that they'll probably win them both. I could see the one at home being difficult and then them coming back the next day and just like, you know, punching them in the mouth down in San Francisco. Because they play at home first and then they go down. Is that right? Opposite. Oh, okay. So they they play in in, um, 
Okay, so yeah, I could see that being a close game and then coming back to Portland then and just like um, running up the score. I would just, it was really nice the other day to have a game where they took the lead and then they kept the lead and then the lead got bigger and then at the end they won. It's been so long since we've had one of those. I would like to see another one of those soon. <laughs> what do you think's more likely, Buddy Heald's an all-star shooting guard or the third guard on some team? The third guard on some team. Yeah, third guard. You know, it's it's crazy, man. Like the thing separating him from being a good player is like the moves to get to the basket. He doesn't really have that, you know, the creativity to get to the basket. It's all shooting. So if he becomes like a Mike, like a JJ Redick, that's not really helping anyone because his defense is atrocious. But man. Mm. I thought he was going to be something better than he know, is. I know, J.J. Reddick's made a pretty nice career for himself. Absolutely. I don't know if Buddy <laughs> has that. I don't mean... Uh, I, don't ha- I, I don't have to defend Buddy Heald anymore. I don't... Yeah. <laughs> you can shake that one off. Yeah, no. <laughs> All right. Uh, we've been going at it for over... 90 solid minutes so thank you all for listening and tuning in uh if you like what you're hearing uh you can find this podcast on itunes stitcher soundcloud and google play at holy backboard pdx and we're also on facebook twitter and instagram at holy backboard uh tara once again thank you for joining us let our listeners know once again where they can hear your content Okay, so you can find me on Twitter at TCB Biggs, and from that account, I will tweet the two podcasts that I'm associated with, both on Blazer's Edge. There's the Blazer's Edge weekly podcast, which I co-host with Dan Morang, and the twice-a-month Women's Hops and Talks podcast, which I um, uh, co-host with Kendall. And uh, we also just wanted to put in a plug on November 25th are going to have a women's hops and talks meetup. We'll be watching the Blazers take on the Washington Wizards on November 25th at four o'clock at the McMinimans on Broadway. So we would love to see any women or those who identify as women who want to come and watch a Blazer came together and just meet a bunch of other uh, like minded Blazer fans. She's good, at the, she, she's good at this wrap-up stuff. Yeah, I think that's a great way to wrap it up, Sage. Um, do you have anything for us, bud? Or are we good to go? Um, I did the most nerdy thing I've ever done, and I watched the uh, basically the World Series of Tekken for eight hours uh, sa- sa- Sunday. And that type of gaming is crazy. But if you want to see some less talented gaming, you can check out my stream at the Sage 504 slash Mixer.com. Well, I'm thankful you finally got your handle right. I guess the fourth time's the charm. No, uh, not fourth, like four hundredth. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that'll that'll do it. Here's to the Blazers going three and zero, and this has been an amazing episode. Thank Dude. you guys. Uh, I look forward to this every week, and it, it's the holiday season, and we're getting uh, some holiday hoops. So keep it up, and uh, thanks for listening. Let's go, Trailblazers. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!